0: Well, hey, forefront. it's good to be with you guys. I wanted to ask you, have you ever been in a time in your life when somebody asked you to trust them? You, I think we've all been there, right? When somebody says, hey, trust me. Like, trust me. I, I know what I'm doing. Anybody heard that one before? Or, hey, trust me, it's all going to work out okay. We've all heard that. Or, or, trust me, everything is going to be all right. But I think the difference that determines whether we trust them or not is how well do you know that person. But if you know that person really well, then maybe, yeah, you're a little more apt to trust them. But what if it's somebody you've never met before? Can you trust them? Maybe. So about 12 years ago, Courtney and I, we got, we got married. It was a beautiful ceremony. And one of the amazing gifts that somebody gave us was the blessing of a honeymoon. Honeymoons? Let me hear it. Honeymoons? Yes. You need one. You guys are getting married soon? Plan it. It's important. So we go on our honeymoon, and we decided we're going to go somewhere we've never been. We're going to go to Playa del Carmen in Mexico, right? It's all paid. Let's go. Let's just have a good time. And so we go down to Mexico, and we're, we're staying at this great resort. We're really the only people that speak English except the, uh, the, the staff that runs the excursion booth. You guys, if you've been to a resort, you know there's always an excursion booth, Right? And so Courtney and I are talking about what are we going to do on this trip, right? We're, we're, you know, we can only eat and lay on the beach so much. And so we go to the excursion table, and at the table was this picture. It's a picture of Tulum. Now, anybody been to Tulum couple people, right? Tulum's amazing. So Tulum, 13th century Mayan, ancient Mayan ruins, and it was an old temple, and it's a couple hour drive from Playa del Carmen, and so we said, let's go to Tulum. We could have gone snorkeling, we could have gone ziplining, Courtney's looking at me like, you know I'm not getting in that water. You know I'm not flying across those trees. Let's go to Tulum. So we get, uh, we go to the excursion booth, and we talk to the lady, we're like, hey, We'd like to go to Tulum. How much does it cost? Tell me about it, right? Because remember, we've you know, we we, it's all expenses paid. We're going to go enjoy ourselves. And the lady goes, "Yeah, there's a tour that leaves Wednesday at ten, and you jump on a tour bus and you go, and it's such and such dollars." We're like, "That sounds great." She's like, "But let me tell you about a better deal. My cousin actually runs a tour service." and would give you an individual tour. Now at that moment, Courtney and I look at each other and we're like flashback to the, you know, the movie Hostel, right? Like back in the early 2000s or we're like, I'm pretty sure there's been lots of movies written about you know, people that do these excursions that just disappear, right? Into the jungle. And Courtney, we look at each other and Courtney's like, no, no. And, I, you know, and, and with my wise leadership as a good husband, I look at her and I go, that sounds great. Sign us up. <laughs> That sounds fantastic. Individual tours, and Courtney's like, are you serious? And I was like, babe, you know, if it goes awry, we've had three great days of marriage. I mean, this has been so good. And so we stand outside Wednesday at 10. Here comes the giant tour bus. 75 people get on the tour bus. And Courtney and I are like little puppy dogs, like we should have went on that one. We know we should have went on that one. And then our, our van gets there, and it's a 1996 Dodge Caravan, and it pulls up. And it's one guy, and then there's a family in there. And he's like, Tar Waters? And we're like, that's us. That's us. So we get on, and we're like holding hands. And Courtney's like, I think we're going to die. I, I think we're, I don't, I don't know. But we take this turn into the jungle, and we're like, this is it. We're praying. Like, God's been good. Like, it's been a good 27 years. This has been so good. But then we, it's like, it's like a, you know, the movie where, like, the, the, the trees part, and then we see that. We're there. And and it ended up being great because the other family in the van, they they didn't care about the tour at all. So Courtney and I got this, like, individual tour through one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it turned out to be amazing. Good thing we trusted, right? Good thing we trusted. But each of you had situations where you know that when somebody says, trust me, it doesn't work out that well. And I think history has shown us that people who ask you to trust them sometimes aren't very trustworthy, like the Enron scandal, where people, a company said, trust me with your retirement dollars and your pension, and all of a sudden it was all gone, or Bernie Madoff, or countless examples of people that didn't deserve your trust. So how do we know whether we should trust somebody or not? How do we know whether they are trustworthy? In Genesis 12, we are going to see the greatest trust me story in history. The greatest trust me story in the entire Bible. When God comes to a man named Abram and says, Abram, trust me. I'm going to do something through you that is so special. Something you would never experience on your own. But I need you to follow me. And I know you don't know anything about me yet. But I need you to trust me. The past couple of months, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. So the book of origins, the book of beginnings. And so we've been seeing that God is creating this beautiful world, and we're seeing that God is establishing culture and establishing cities, and he's creating this wonderful place for us to live. And for 11 chapters, we've been walking our way through the the, the beginning of time when God creates, and we have have seen that mankind just hasn't really done a very good job of keeping God's plan in place. We see Adam and Eve, God gives Adam and Eve this, this great purpose and this great plan and this great mission, and they mess it up. And then Adam and Eve's grandkids mess it up, and they mess it up. And then we get to, to, to Noah. God, God sends a flood, resets everything with Noah. God's like, Noah, I'm going to plan the world through you. Here's what I want you to do. And then Noah messes it up. And we get to Genesis 11. If you were with us last week, and we're at the Tower of Babel. And we're really, at the end of Genesis 11, we're like at the toilet, bottom of the toilet bowl. Like if you are a Cleveland Browns fan, you know what this feels like, right? Like you just, things are not good. Things just have not been going good for a long time. And you just don't know when they are going to go good. And then we flip the page to Genesis 12, and we're like, "What's going to happen?" Like we're studying the greater story, God's story, but things have been messy. When's God going to move? Because if you remember back in Genesis 3, God made this really cool promise that He was going to fix what was broken. But God, when are you going to fix it? In Genesis 12, we start to see God, His plan, to fix it. And so God calls this man named Abram, this man named Abraham, and says. Rather than leaving it up to the world to get it together, which they haven't figured it out yet. And by the way, it's 2022 and the world still hasn't figured it out yet. God says, I'm going to pick this one family, a guy named Abram and his, his wife Sarai. And I'm going to use them to bless the world and to fix what is broken. And I think it's important that we spend a little time talking about about Abram, Abe, Abraham. By the way, his name is Abram in Genesis 12. By Genesis 17, it's Abraham. I'm going to get it wrong, like, half the time. So if you want to play a little drinking game with your coffee, like, every time I say Abraham instead of Abram, you know, you guys are going to be just buzzed out of control by the time you leave. So I'm just going to call him Abe, okay? (laughs) Abe, you guys go with Abe? All right, everybody say Abe. Abe. Abe, all right, that's safe. So God calls this man Abe. He says, I want to do something special for you. And it's important we know who Abe is because we spent 11 chapters walking through God saying, everything is created, and the, the toilet bowl in Genesis 11. Now, we, that's really undateable. We, we, you know, if you listen to the podcast, we pretend we know what dates they are. Really, we're just doing Google searches, right? Like, when did this happen? But when we get to Genesis, I do at least. Darren, he knows. But for me, I do. I Google search. But when we get to Genesis 12, all of a sudden, we can start dating what happened. Most Bible scholars think Abram, Abe, lived at about 21 B.C. So now we start to see history come in, and we can start to find archaeological evidence to support a lot of th- these things, which is really cool. So God calls Abel, and notice this. Notice how important Abe is. We spent 11 chapters talking through the history from the beginning of the world to G- Genesis 12, the Tower of Babel. Now God's going to spend 10 chapters talking about Abe. It tells you right there that Abe's pretty important. Also, the Bible talks about Abe hundreds of times. It has been said that Abe is is the second most important person in the Bible other than Jesus. Jesus. That's right. So Abe is a very important guy, right? And so we see all of this time devoted to him. And we want to, to dive in today because I think God has something really important to teach us about Abe. So before we talk about Abe, let me ask the question. Why did God choose Abe? So if God decides he's going to use, uh, he's going to work through human agency, he's going to work through humanity, and he's going to do it by not giving us just the opportunity to try to get it right again, because we haven't, he's going to pick a family and do it. Why did he choose Abe? He could pick anybody. He could choose anybody. Was it because Abe was just a a good man? Remember, Noah was righteous. Was Abe righteous? Like, did Abe go to church camp? Was he, like, really good in, you know, Bible quiz, right? Did he, like, really have a strong spiritual foundation? No. Actually... Abe lived in the country of Ur, the land of Ur, actually, and it was a pagan place, and they worshipped the Babylonian moon god. So Abe had no knowledge of who God was, no relationship with God before. When God spoke to Abe, I'm sure he was like, Excuse me, who are you? What's your name? I don't know anything about you. And it just goes back to show that God doesn't... Choose us, pick us, use us because of we, we are good or we are worthy or we are valuable. God chooses us because he loves us and knows what's best for us. And so God calls Abe and says, Abe, trust me, follow me. And I think this is really important because this is the first time in the Bible we're going to see a theme that begins to run all the way. Genesis 12 to Rev 22, and that's the theme of faith. The Bible t- calls Abraham the father of faith. And, and, you know, there's verses all throughout the New Testament that Paul talks about, Romans chapter 4. You're going you're to see this um, all over the book of 2 Corinthians where God is, where, 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 and the book of Hebrews where, where the New Testament writers are talking about Abraham, about Abe as this man of faith. And we see right here how this all began. Now, you might be here and you may, this may be your first time in church in a while. You may tune in online, somebody shared this and you aren't really sure why you're watching it, but but you are And you're wondering, like, this idea of faith, isn't that just a churchy word? Like, doesn't that just seem like Christianese, like faith? I think a lot of people think, well, isn't faith just blind faith? You know, it's just something that you just believe without having any information on. Like, when you get that fax from the Nigerian prince, you know, and he says, if you give me your bank account number, I'm going to bless you with $5 million. And you're like, sure, here's my routing number, too. Take it. Like, that's kind of blind faith. When we talk about a biblical faith, biblical faith is, talking about blind faith Is biblical faith, that's really an oxymoron, because biblical faith is based in the person of God and the promises of God. And when the Bible talks about faith, here's what it says. It doesn't say anything about trusting something that you don't know to be true. It's the exact opposite. Notice Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. It says that, that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things Not seen. Another way of saying what faith is is this faith is trusting that God will keep his promises. You see, the Bible is full of promises. God's giving us lots of promises. Faith is trusting and believing that what God says is true is actually going to happen in God's time, maybe not ours. And so as we dive into Genesis 12, we're going to see the life of Abram, this guy named Abe, and we're going to see a life of faith. But it's not the picture-perfect life of faith. And I think we can see our own lives in Abe's life. And we can learn a lot from the things that Abe did about what it looks like to have faith. Because here's the reality for a friend. I want you to take this home. Your opinions on faith will dictate where you spend eternity. What you think about God and Jesus will dictate what happens when you close your eyes that last time. And having a right understanding of faith is pivotal to follow Jesus in this Christian journey that God calls us to. So let's see the example we have in Abe in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, flip them, Genesis chapter 12. Notice what happens here. Remember, toilet bowl, Genesis 11, new life, new plan, God's plan, God calls Abe, Genesis 12. Notice verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, by the way, the name Abram, I know I'm stopping like three words in. The name Abram means father. Hold on to that. That's good. Okay, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, no. God calls Abram. He says, go. Go to this place I'm going to show you. Abe has no clue who God is, but and we don't know how God spoke to him. Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Did, did God speak to him audibly? Was it like a Moses situation where God spoke to him through a bush? We don't know. But we know it was uh, an impactful enough situation where he, know he, he it caught his attention. It wasn't just like a random thought. He was like, oh, my gosh, there's something going on here. He's having this experience with God. And God calls him to go. And notice what he says to do. No, look, look back at that verse in verse 1. He, he doesn't just say, hey, just get up. And listen to me and start to, to pray to me occasionally and, and, you know, occasionally go to church. He says, no, actually, I want you to go. And I want you to f- go from your country and from your kindred, that means your family, and your father's house to the place I'm going to show you. He didn't even tell him where he's going. I'm sure Abe's like, can I get a GPS on this, right? Can you just drop me a pen? Let me, let me check it out. Like, what are, the, what are the Airbnbs like? You know, we're going to find a place. None of that. Just go. And this is a big deal. Because he's telling him to leave. Now, I don't about you. Some of you are thrill seekers. Like, some of you like whitewater raft, like these crazy rapids, and like climb 14ers, and all that kind of stuff. But the rest of us are pretty rational, right? And like, when somebody asks us to go somewhere, we're like, hmm, I'm going to count the cost, right? I'm going to figure out where we're actually going. See, God says, Abe wants you to go. And by the way, don't miss this. We're going to find out here in a few verses, Abe's 75. It's not like Abe's 18 and looking for some adventure, Right? He didn't just graduate from college. He's like, I got a gap here. Let's go do something. He's like, I'm 75, right? I'm like, social security's paying. It's good. Like, I really, I don't need to go anywhere. But yet he does. He listens to what God has to say. And it's interesting. Leaving home was a really big deal in this culture, in ancient Near East culture. I mean, your identity, your comfort, your security was tied up in your family. Your inheritance came from your family. You didn't move from your family. In the ancient world, people, the majority of people never traveled more than 15 miles from their home. You know, of course, traders and that kind of stuff traveled. Most people didn't. And do you know today, and this is a recent study, 20, only 20% of people live more than 18 miles from their mom or dad or where they grew up. Only 20%. One out of five. Four to five people still live close to home. Now, that's none of us, right? Because none of us actually were born here, right? And the natives will tell you that, by the way. <laughs> so the reality is people don't travel. Now, God says, Abe, I want you to travel. I want you to go. And what we find out, he goes 600 miles. That's a long way. Right? He says, follow me to this land, this place. I'm going to show you. Leave everything behind. Leave your life behind. Leave your inheritance behind. Leave your security behind. Leave your comfort behind. Pick up your wife and grab your nephew, Lot, because you know, he tags along, and go. And he does. And this is just really interesting. But notice why. You might say, well, isn't it blind faith that he just goes? No, it's not. Look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what God says to Abe. He says, go to this place I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor. And and who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the family of the earth shall be blessed. Notice three promises. God made Abraham right there. God says, Abe, if you go, I'm going to promise you a land of your own. It's going to be bigger than the inheritance you have. God, if you, or Abe, if you go, I'm going to promise you being a great nation. Abe's like, I don't have any kids. I'm 75. He's like, trust me, go. You're going to. And then he says, finally, I'm going to promise that you are going to be a blessing. But he doesn't tell Abe how. He doesn't tell Abe when. He doesn't tell Abe any details. He just says, go, trust me, and follow. So we see right here that God is saying that faith is trusting that God's going to keep his promise. Faith for you and me is trusting that what God says is true, and he's going to keep his promises that he gives us. See, one of the realities of life that I think we all deal with, that we all experience and that we all face, is that everything around us is making a promise. Everything around us is making promises to us. Culture is promising to us. Do this. Live this way. Say these things. Act this way, and your life will be good. Our jobs are promising to us. Work hard. Work hard save up for retirement, and someday you're going to retire, and it's all going to be great. And we make promises to ourselves. If I can look a certain way, if I can dress a certain way, if I can act a certain way, if I can get outside and do enough things, then I'm going to live the life I want to live. And all of those things are making promises to us. The question is, can we trust those promises? Can we trust culture? Can we trust ourselves? Can we trust our jobs? Can we trust the people in our lives? They may mean well, but do they have the ability to keep their promises? See, that's a question that we all have to ask because we base our lives and our security and our identity and our comfort on these things. But there's times in life where, where things kind of challenge us to, to, to maybe redirect what we put our, our hope into, what promises we're listening to. And see, for some of you, you may have experienced this. It may have come in a, in a health challenge it may have come in a work crisis or a work change. It may have come in a tragedy. It may come in the still, small voice of God in your ear. But I think God, to each of us, calls us and says, what are you trusting? What, are you, what, are you, what promises are you listening to? What are you basing your life on? Are you listening to me? Are you basing your life on the promises that I give? Because I always, God says, keep mine promises. Everybody else, even if they have good intentions, they can't. And so we have Abe. Abe's just showing us what it looks like to trust. Notice what he does. He actually goes. He believes. Genesis 12, verse 4. Notice, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took, his, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his, brother, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. They followed. How could Abraham believe the promises of a God he's never met before? Well, Hebrews 11 gives us a glimpse. Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 10 says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Notice it. By faith, Abraham believed. He believed God. He heard God's word. He felt and knew it to be true, and he followed. Verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise and as a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, notice this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. Abraham saw this, heard this promise from God and believed God because he knew that what God was offering was bigger and better and more beautiful and deeper and richer and more fulfilling than anything he could have ever experienced on his own. And he says, I want that. I want that in my life, and he went, and he followed. Do you realize that God is calling you the same way? That God is calling out to you and saying, hey, what are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your trust in? What promises are you following? That, well, I want you to see that I am promising you something bigger and better and more, and more beautiful than anything you can ever accomplish on your own, but to find it, you have to follow me. You have to listen to what I have to say, and you have to follow where I am taking you. See, what about you? Where are you at right now in your life? Like, what promises are you listening to? Or what promises are you doubting? Like, God's saying, trust me to you. Are are you trusting him? Or or are you you kind of saying, well, God, I'll, I'll believe when you show me? Like, are, are you in a place right now where you trust that, that he, he's going to open that door in your career, that he's going to bring that right relationship, or he's going to honor you, when you with the with, way you, 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 you give with your finances and the way that you honor him? Are you believing that he is going to walk with you through your health challenge, that he knows what is best for you? The problem that I have and I'm guessing that some of you have too, is that we, we have this hard time believing God until we see it, right? I'm from Missouri. You know what we call the Missouri? The show me state. See, some of you knew that. The show me state. Like, I will believe it when I see it. And I think some of us live our life that way. When I was in high school, my high school business teacher, his, his name was Mr. DeVore, and he was a great guy. He was hilarious. Well, he told us this story. Back in the 1970s, he went to a, a business prospectus meeting where he was going to learn about a new business that was starting and have an opportunity to invest. And so Mr. DeVore goes in, and he says there's like, I don't know, 10, 12 people in this room, and this guy walks in. It's a wad of tobacco in his mouth, right? He's got spurs on, and his clothes are completely dirty. He's not a highly educated man, and he says, hey, me and my brother are getting ready to open this line of retail stores, and you guys can get in on the front side. We're raising capital to open our first store in Bentonville, Arkansas. And Mr. DeVore is like, yeah, right. Like, this guy, he's not going to do anything. And so he leaves. Do you know that a $5,000 investment in Walmart in 1970 is worth $74 million today? And Mr. DeVore just walked out because he wanted to see it before he believed it. Now, we can roll our eyes at that and be like, no, if that was me, I would have plopped my cash down right there on the table. No, you wouldn't have. He wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. None of us would have. Whoever did was really, made a really good decision. But we do that with our faith all the time. God, I know you're telling me to trust you with this, but I got to see it first. God, I know you want me to trust you with, with, with this area of my life, and I really want to give it to you, but I just need to wait until you show me if I can believe it. So Abraham didn't wait on God. He went. What is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you to go? So God makes his promise to Abram right? He says, go. I'm going to give you all these blessings. I'm going to do all these good things. And you might be tempted right now to be like, wow, I wish I had the faith of Abe. Like, I wish I could be like Abe. Abe was amazing. But I want you to see, the rest of Abe's life didn't just flow perfectly. It wasn't like Abe made one good decision. Everything was easy. Abe, like us, continued to make mistakes. And Abe, like us, even though he believed in God and God's promises, he continued to run into these situations where he would put his foot in his mouth or He would doubt God in that moment, and he would make these ridiculous decisions. But we do that too, don't we? I think sometimes for us, we want to hedge God, right? So God's like, hey, I promised to do this for you. And we say, God, I believe you, but just in case you don't come through, I'm going to hedge my bet. So God might say, hey, I want to bless you. Honor me with your finances, and I'm going to bless you. And we're like... It sounds so good, God, I'm going to do that. But instead of giving the full 10, I'm going to give five, and I'm going to slip five in my retirement account. And then, God, when you start to invest, bless me, then I'll, you know, I'll, like one percentage at a time, you know, I'll step it up. Or God's like, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you and bring the right person for you because I know you desire to be married and you desire to honor me with your sexuality. And we're like, God, that sounds so good. I can't wait to meet that person. But until then, I'm going to date my ex just so I have somebody around. Like, we hedge our bets, don't we? We do that all the time. God's like, you got to stop that. You got to trust me, and you got to fully go in. See, this is what Abe did. Fast forward just a little bit, Genesis 13. We can't talk through all of this, but Genesis 13, there's a famine. Remember, God, like, five verses before is like, hey, Abe, follow me. I'm going to bless you. Everything's going to be good. And then uh, Genesis 13 comes, there's a famine in the land, and Abraham's like, well, God's not taking care of us, so I'm going to have to take care, of our, take care of us for the time being. So he moves his family to Egypt. And how many of you know in the Bible when you read somebody goes to Egypt, it's never for a good reason? And so they go to Egypt, right? And, and now they find themselves in this place where he's not trusting God. And then they get to Egypt, and, and Abe realizes that Sarai, his wife, although she's 65, she's got it going on. Like, she's, she's pretty beautiful. And so she's, he's worried that, like, he's going to get killed because his wife's beautiful. So he goes in, and he tells Sarah, hey, say you're my sister. And so they won't kill me. It's like, hold on, Abe. God just said he was going to give you like, a family. How is God going to bless you if somebody marries your wife? Like, Come on, where's your faith? Well, Pharaoh takes Sarah to be his wife. And, and then like Pharaoh gives him all of this, like all these animals and camels and all these things and a nice house by the river. And then God comes to Pharaoh. He's like, dude, you... That his, his wife. Give her back or I will strike all of you down. And Pharaoh's like, Abe, why did you do this to us? And Abe's like, well, she is my half-sister. You know, it was just complete cop-out. <laughs> did Abe trust God? No. He tried to hedge God's blessing. He tried to hedge God's promise by doing his own thing. Abe didn't just do that once. He did that twice. Not only did that happen, in Genesis chapter 16, we see that, that at this point in time, It's been like 15 years since God made the promise of giving them a blessing of a family, and now they're getting impatient. So Sarai says to Abe, hey, Abe, why don't you go and lie with my my servant and have a child through there? Maybe that's how God wants to bless us. And Abe's like, okay, sure, yeah, whatever you say. Completely just goofball. And so he goes, and uh, Hagar gets pregnant, and now an Ishmael, a son, is born, and now Sarai hates Hagar. And, like, sin is just stern, and all kinds of, like, conflict are happening. Abe and Sarai did not believe, or, or they believed God, but they weren't obediently following God because they were trying to hedge God's promise on their own. And it ended up becoming a mess, and it ended up becoming a really ugly ugly situation. The first obstacles they hit, they failed. And I imagine God is looking down on Abe and, and Sarah and going, like, come on, like, seriously, I just told you I'm gonna bless you and now you're not listening. I imagine it's like Jesus, remember he's on the ship, he's on the boat, and they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee, and the winds are going around and water's coming in, and and like they're going, Jesus, wake up, we're gonna die, don't you care? And Jesus stands up, he's like, and it all stops. And Jesus is like, Come on, don't you realize who you're with? I mean, come on. Like, where's your faith? Imagine God's looking at Abe and Sarah going, Where's your faith? I know you believe, but why aren't you following? Why aren't you trusting me. I think one of the problems that I have, and I'm imagining you do too, is in life when we find ourselves in these situations, and maybe you're a believer here, and and this has happened to you. You've put your faith in Jesus. You said yes to Jesus. You believe God's promises are true, but then some time goes on, and you're like, God, you haven't came through yet, so I'm starting to doubt. My faith is still strong, but I'm starting to doubt you're actually gonna come through for me, and then you start to kind of do your own Thing. And then what happens is we start to make mistakes, and we let those mistakes define us. And so instead of saying, I'm following God and his promises, we start to say, well, I'm, at, I'm now this because of this mistake I've made or this thing of what happening. And sometimes we start to give ourselves nicknames, and those nicknames usually aren't very good. Any of you have an awesome nickname in high school? Like, any of you still have an awesome nickname? Like, no, no hands went up. Probably the nickname you had in high school you don't want to repeat because you're afraid people will start calling you again, right? I never had a good one either. But there are some great nicknames in the world, you know, like Dirty Harry, right? That's a cool one. Like McLovin, what a good nickname McLovin is, right? Or The Dude. Like, I just want to be called The Dude, right? Isn't The Dude good? Well, we used to work with this guy. When I was in college, we worked at Staples, the office supply store. And we had this guy. It was terrible. This guy was a really nice guy. His name was Gary. And Gary, if you're watching, we love you. Praying for you. But we used to call him the squirrel master. It's a terrible name. And I, I don't even know why we called him the squirrel master, but even if we still see him today, we're like, dude, it's the squirrel master. You know? And I don't know, it was terrible. But there are a lot of bad names out there. Like, just imagine you're at a, at a fire, you have a fire in your house, and then this guy shows up, old Les McBurney. and he's probably the guy you want at your house if it catches fire, right? Now, I was really happy to see that this guy got exonerated. I'd hate to see Mr. Cash Register in jail, <laughs> right? But what happens if you need some legal advice, some Christian legal advice? And I just say, call the Christian guy, right? Yeah, he'll, you know, Christian guy, I'll take good care of you. There's a lot of really bad names out there. And you got you to gotta wonder, like, it's like Top Gun when he's like, what's your name, Maverick? Like, oh, your parents didn't like you very much, did they? You know, it's like, who names your kid Maverick? But anyways, like, there's a lot of bad names in the world. What name do you give yourself? me you think about it. When you mess up, you find yourself in a bad season when you haven't trusted God, we start to give our name, ourselves names like loser and mistake. And fill in the blank, there's a lot of bad ones. And the problem is, when we give ourselves those names, we start to let those names identify us, we start to try, and we end up living out those names, and it stops us from trusting God with our actions because of the mistakes we have made. And we find ourselves in this place where we think, well, God, there's no way you can use me because I've ruined my witness. There's no way you can use me because I've messed up my past. There's no way you can use me because of the mistakes I, was, I have made. And that may be where some of you guys are right now because what happens is when we make mistakes in life, rather than leaning in and following the, the, the promises of God with our actions, we end up hiding because we're afraid of what our actions are actually going to lead to. And it may be somewhere where you guys are today. There's a guy named Tom Watson, not the golfer, but the CEO of IBM. And there's a story that Tom Watson um, calls a a salesman into his office that that salesman had been working on a really big deal, but they lost the deal and ended up costing the company a million dollars. That's a big, big big loss. And so uh, Tom Watson calls this employee into his office, and the employee sits down, and he slides an envelope across his desk, and Watson knows what it is. It's his resignation letter. And the employee says, hey, Mr. Watson, I'm so sorry for the mistake I made. It's never going to happen again. I'm going to go ahead and issue my resignation. And Watson slides that envelope right back across. He says, why would I fire you? I just spent a million dollars educating you. That's what God does to us. God is using those times that we've made mistakes, those times we've fallen short, those times that we missed the mark, to educate us, to show us, what it looks like to obey and to follow. I mean, just, I want you to think about this. There is not one person that God uses in the Bible who had it all together. There's not one Superman. Kenry Hayville is, no, is nowhere in the Bible. Instead, you get guys like Noah, who God says, I'm gonna promise to bless the world through you. And then what does Noah do? He goes and gets drunk. You get people like Rahab. That God used Rahab to free to, to save the nation of Israel. Rahab was a prostitute. You get people like David, King David, God's the man close to God's own heart. David was an adulterer and a murderer. You get guys like Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. How about Paul? Paul persecuted, arrested, and killed Christians, yet God used each and every one of those persons to bless the world in the greater story. See, I think a lot of us say, because of my past, God can't use me, and God can't use me until I'm qualified. But here's the reality, Forefront. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So God calls you. He says, let me do the work to get you ready to where you need to be. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of these situations, God comes to Abe in Genesis chapter 15. In the midst of Abe's faithlessness, in the midst of Abe's doubt, in the midst of Abe's mistakes, God comes to Abe in Genesis 15 and he says, I'm gonna make you a promise, Abe. I'm gonna remind you of the promise I have given you. Notice Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And he, he, he takes Abe outside and he walks in, out and he looks up at the stars and he says, Abe, look at the stars. He says, I want you to count those stars. You know, no way you can count those stars. A lot of astrologers think there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand in the, in the, on the beach, in, on earth. And so he's like, look at those stars. That is how big of a blessing you're going to be because that's how big your family will be one day. And Abe's like, I, I, have, I don't even have any kids yet. And God's like, trust me. And then there's this really interesting covenant that we'll talk about uh, on the podcast that happens in Genesis 15 that's, that's really confusing. But God is promising to Abe, I keep my promises. God never turned his back on Abe, even though Abe turned his back on God several times. And I want you to notice this. God comes to Abe on the other side of the Hagar situation in Genesis 17. And he says this, he says, Abe, I know your name is, is Abram, which means father, but I'm changing your name because you're going to be a blessing to the world. And I'm changing your name from Abe Abram to Abraham, which means father of many or father of nations. He says, I'm changing your wife's name from Sarah, from Sarai to Sarah, which from mother to mother of many or mother of nations. God still hasn't brought the son yet, but God's saying, I am promising this to you. Now imagine what dinner was like that night when Abe comes home and he's like, hey, so Sarah, God came today. No son yet, but he came and he's changing our names. And Sarah's like, what's my name? Well, Big Mama. Oh, okay, Big Mama. Oh, that's interesting. What's your name? Big Papa. And I love it when you call me that. (laughs) So God changes their names so they can see the promise that God is giving. And do you realize that God has changed your name to? See, these names we give ourselves, inadequate, insufficient, unusable, loser, mistake, mess up, fill in a blank. That is not your name anymore. Because God has called you out of that. God has called you to leave your old life, the past life, and he, God has given you a new name. And you know what that new name is? Chosen. Called. Redeemed. Forgiven. Rescued, set free, son, daughter, child of God. And when we can learn to live in to those names, it frees us from holding on to all these mistakes and stupid stuff we've done in the past and frees us to live into the calling that God has on our lives. And here's the reality. God continued to remind Abe of his promises. And every time you and I opened this book, we're reminded of God's promises for us. See the reality is forefront that God, God's promises remind us of who we truly are, and this is the beautiful reality of the gospel. It's not about what you do, it's not about how you obey, it's not about how le- much you, 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 less you mistakes you made. It's about believing what God says and that God is true, and that what God says will come through. See, I want you to see Abe's faith. The Bible talks all about Abraham, the father of faith, that Abraham's faith is what led to his righteousness. Abraham wasn't blessed because of his obedience. He messed up more than he didn't. Abraham's obedience was a result of believing God and being renewed on God's promises. And over time, he began to trust and follow. He believed God. And here's the beautiful thing. Abraham was looking forward. Guys, you and I, when we pick up this book, we are looking back. We look back to the cross. We look back to see Jesus and we can see that Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for us. And we can flip to the last page of this book and we can see that Jesus wins. So we are looking back. How much more should we trust and base our faith and follow what God gives us? Because we can look back and see that Jesus stepped out of heaven for us, who came to this world for us and gave his life for us on that cross, took our sin on his back so that we could have life when he rose from the grave three days later. So God is calling to each of us today, to you and to me, and he's saying, trust me, follow me, because where I'm leading you is exactly where you want to go. Fast forward 25 years after God makes his promise to Abe, God comes through. Sarah has a son, and his name is Isaac. And it's through Isaac that God brings the line of Jesus. Abe waited 25 years. We'll talk more about that next week. But we're reminded that God's promises always come true. It's like what Augustine or Augustine has to say. He says this He says, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Abe saw what he believed. He just had to wait for God's timing. And God is calling you to follow him so that you can see it too. I want to close with a story and invite the music team back on stage, which includes me. So I'm up here already. Back in 2012, a good friend of mine, his name's Andy Ott, called. And Andy said, hey, Drew, I got a crazy idea. Let's go on a journey. Where do you want to go? He said, let's go to Tanzania. Tanzania, okay. Well, how far is that? Well, it's 22 hours. 22 hours. Okay, what do you want to do in Tanzania? Let's climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, Mount Kilimanjaro is over 19,000 feet tall. It takes five to nine days to climb. It's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And you can actually climb it by just walking around it for nine days <laughs> and walking back down it. And I, I was like, this sounds amazing. Of course I want to go. Then I called him back, and I said, man, I can't go. And I gave him all these really good excuses. I got a newborn at home. It's expensive. 22 hours is a long time to fly in a plane. I'm busy that weekend in like a a year. You know, i washing my hair or whatever. So there's just a lot going on. I just can't go. And to be honest, these are good excuses. And he's like, I get it, I get it. So then Andy goes. And he messages me and he sends me this picture of him at the top. 19,340 feet. And I see that and immediately my heart sinks. I should have been excited for him. I should have been cheering and high-fiving, but instead I was sad. Why well, was I sad? Because I could have gone. I could have been a part of that adventure, but I said no. You know, one of the things God is calling us to do is God is calling us to trust him and to go on this journey, this journey of life, this journey of faith. And We got a lot of really good excuses why we don't do it. And they're good excuses. God, I got this going on. God, I'm really busy. God, I can't make it happen. God, I'm just not sure. God is saying, trust me, don't miss this. Because this is the difference between your life being what I've called you to be and then your life being this this trivial effort of you trying to do things all the time and it never working out. Trust me, because where I want to take you is where you need to be because through you I want to bless the world and I'm going to bless you and bless your family and through you I'm going to do something special. So what excuses are we making that are keeping us from saying yes to following God's call? some of us some of us here it's time for us to say yes like maybe for you you've never said yes to jesus and jesus is pulling on your heart today to say say yes follow me because i'm going to take you where only i can take you see for some of us we've said yes but we've allowed uh, the, the, the hedging and the, the, the doubtless moments to pull us away, and now we're, we're calling ourselves names that God doesn't call us. We need to be reminded of the name that God calls you because you are redeemed and loved and forgiven. For some of you, God's calling you guys to take that next step of obedience, and maybe it's to start uh, to, to, to join a life group. It's to, to start serving on Sunday mornings, or Uh, to start financially giving to what God is, is doing for some of us just by spending some time in this Word to be reminded of God's promises in our life because God's promises are always true. But whatever it is, this week, let's open up this book and let's read those promises. Let's be reminded that God is calling us to go somewhere bigger and more beautiful and more special than anywhere we could ever go on our own.